Audi. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. It's our first episode of 2020 and it's a very timely one actually because this is a time of year when a lot of people are thinking about booking their holidays and the person I have on today is an expert in how to get the very best deals in travel and also how to travel first class and luxury travel by being very clever with points and air miles. We've had a very good start to the year so far. We've got some very good guests lined up for you as always. I've been in the press and on the radio quite a lot this week talking about the research by Royal Caribbean, the cruise people, finding that more and more adult kids and grandkids are travelling on multi-generational holidays, something that I actually love doing and not just for the free babysitting, although that does have something to do with it. And also this week we've been at number nine in the UK Apple Podcast travel charts without even having released an episode for several weeks, four, five, I can't count. So thank you so much to listeners both old and new for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Right, on to today's guest then. Nikki Kelvin is the face of the Points Guy UK, a website showing us how to get the most from points and miles, whose US site now has over 75 million unique visitors a year. Nikki's own travel journey started with cheap flights with his cabin crew sister and moved on to climbing Kilimanjaro, setting fire to a Mongolian hillside, working as a photojournalist and actually a manny and a waiter in Israel, and he was once forced to pay £600 for a jam sandwich in Zimbabwe in order to escape the Mugabe regime unscathed. Nikki was born to do this job and is here with us on the Big Travel Podcast. My name is Nikki Kelvin. I'm the Director of Content for the Points Guy UK. So me along with a colleague of mine, we set up the UK office in November. So we're a year old now and the site actually we only launched in April. So the site is whatever that is, seven or eight months old. Tell me, what, what is the Point Sky? Who is the Point Sky and what is it all about? So the Point Sky was set up 10 years ago in the US by Brian Kelly, who's my big boss. And he created a website that would help people maximize their travel. So effectively helps you earn the most air miles that you can, spend them in the best way you possibly can to extract maximum value. Also it gives you travel inspiration. We talk about deals that come up every day, flight deals, hotel deals, and also we talk about travel inspiration and aviation news. But really at the core of what we do is points and miles and helping people with those programs. And it's going really well, isn't it? Tell me some of the numbers involved. So the, if we look at the US site, they have been successful for quite a while, but I think they had 75 million unique visitors last year and run at about nine or 10 million monthly unique visitors. In the UK, bearing in mind we are only a few months old and we started in April, we've had 2.5 million unique visitors to our site already 
and we have about half a million unique visitors every single month reading our site. We also have about 60,000 people signed up to our newsletter, which we started in April. Big numbers on socials and video is where it's really kicked off big time. So our YouTube channel, which we just started, now has 160-odd thousand subscribers and 19 million views. And when you add up the cumulative watch time, it's now about 220 years of watch time. That's amazing. 220 years of watch time. What do you think it is about... I know we're more of us are travelling than ever, but what do you think it is? Do people people want to get the best deals? I mean, you hear about sort of millennials and and younger, I guess, now wanting to, knowing that they're not going to afford to buy a house, uh, knowing that, you know, a job isn't for life necessarily, and just thinking, well, sod it, I'm going off travelling. Do you think it's something in that sort of ethos? Yeah, I think so. And what we talk about is aspirational but achievable. So it's not us sat on pretty beaches that you actually can't afford because to get there and to pay for the whole thing is a 15 grand holiday which normal people can't even dream about doing but this is about showing things that are incredible experiences like flying first class or staying in five-star hotels but actually it's accessible to anybody by playing the miles and points game so it's look at how cool this is and this is how you can do it too that's kind of our whole shtick and i think people really appreciate and enjoy that and when you start to play the game the miles and points game and you know getting into travel deals and stuff there's so much to do and so much amazing benefit to be gained and you know who doesn't want to travel like if i say to you you know do you want to do you want to fly first class on your next holiday like nobody's saying no no i want to go with ryanair and lose my luggage and sit there (laughs) cramped and crying for the whole journey which i probably have done before i flew back i was in uh, ethiopia a few weeks ago and i went over economy and it was great because i got like a bulkhead seat and that sort of thing but i came back with a flatbed and oh my god it's like that is the only way to travel it really is was that on ethiopian yes i was really surprised yeah both ways it was great on the dreamliner was it would you know? No, no, I don't really okay. know. No, anyway. I'm a terrible travel journalist. The way I have no idea what plane. So that's my brother. Was like, what plane? Was that? I don't know. It had wings. It had seats. They served me drinks. It but you good. liked it. It was amazing. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I'm fortunate enough to get to go business and first quite a lot of airlines, but I've never been Ethiopian before. So uh, let's talk about you a little bit. What got you into the job? Have you travelled extensively beforehand? So this kind, this I've always been an aviation geek obsessed with flying and aeroplanes. So for me, it was always about the journey more so than the destination. That being said, I travelled loads through the years. But key to that was my sister being cabin crew of BA. So she was, um, she was cabin crew for about 10 years. And it was at a perfect age for me when I, my other siblings, there's four of us, and my older brother and younger sister were too young and too old to take advantage. But I was a student during the glory years. And so I used to fly around with my sister, staying in amazing hotels, flying for almost free, really. It was a 90% discount back in the days when taxes were not so high. So, you know, I flew to, I know, Hong Kong for five days, staying in her hotel, and I paid 90 quid. Oh, or, my God. Or I went to the best ever. I went to Antigua in the Caribbean, it was a seven-day trip or an eight-day trip, beautiful hotel on the beach, and that cost me 100 quid or something. Yeah, it was really crazy. Anyway, she ruined my life by uh, getting, selfishly, getting married and having kids and taking me How off the concession. Selfish, yeah, right? awful, horrible. Very happy for her. Though. Yeah, obviously. I love, too gritted, I love my now too gritted teeth. nephews and niece. <laughs> but I had to find a way to continue to travel like that, and the miles and points thing was how I found to do that. But throughout those years... My sister aside, I also just travelled a lot, took every summer, every Christmas, you know, long breaks at university and really like I've been all over some mad places as well, you know. I went to some really crazy places. Well, I love stories on, the, on this podcast. So tell me something crazy that's happened to you. Something crazy that's happened to you in some crazy place. Um 
So I'm thinking about two things. One is just a place. I went to North Korea, which was felt like a, a crazy otherworldly place to go. Seeing the mass games, this huge performance with 100,000 people was insane. And actually flying Air Corio, the North Korean airline, was an experience. Nothing actually bad or crazy happened there. But another, another thing on the same trip, I was in Mongolia and we went to a army base, a Mongolian army base, where they just let us pay to do anything. So we drove big Russian tanks around, fired cannons, rocket launchers, and we actually launched this rocket, which hit the side of a hill, which then set the whole hill on fire. So we then had like these Mongolians running around with spades and buckets trying to put out the fire. And they're, they're, they're like joking with us saying like, you know, you Westerners come over here and like burn our country to the ground. But like, it, like joking, it was, I think they were joking. <laughs> now, now looking back, maybe they weren't. No, that was, that was. It's a, their own fault, really, for the giving you access to the, they gave the me tanks the and the guns and rockets or whatever totally. I always think that that when you go to like I don't know if you've been to Cambodia but like the killing you go to somewhere like awful like the killing fields and learn about <clears> all the <throat> terrible history and everything that's gone on there and then when afterwards people are going do you want to go and shoot an AK-47 I'm like no I don't well you obviously yes said yeah. yes but I was like no I don't I don't, I don't you know I don't understand. it wasn't framed like that I, I didn't know no. but, but that is and also don't people go and like blow up cows there and stuff I don't know pr- nobody offered me to blow up a cow and like chickens that seems a bit barbaric do they I just blow up a hill. Yeah, I know the hill. The hill is acceptable. I think it's uh, it's it's worth the, the lost for the uh, for the tourism dollars. I'm sure it wasn't uh, it wasn't like that. No, I've never blown up any cows. Have you ever felt like threatened while on your travels? Have I ever felt threatened? Yeah, I've had dangerous a few, situations. I've had a few. I've had a few situations. I had one. I had a situation in Mexico where we got done over with money and got taken dragged pretty much to cash machines and forced to take money out thankfully nothing happened it was as bad the worst thing of that was that we ended up having to pay all the money we could get out the cash machine how did they get what did they do they we got pulled over by so it's quite a complicated story we were in this place we were being overcharged we were we were getting drinks and they were meant to be we thought they were like a few dollars whatever but we got the bill and it was they were charging like hundreds of dollars per drink and we said we never knew what the price was they said well that's what the prices are we're going to take you to the cash machine now and they basically dragged us there and we had to pull the money out we then actually on the way home when we left got stopped by the police we, our taxis got stopped by the police and the police made us pay them off as well to let us go just for no reason that was just sort of like a cash a cash grab from them so that whole night was quite weird I had another situation recently I've lived in Israel before spent a lot of time there and I was in last year went to a place where I'd never been before in the West Bank which is a monastery St George's Monastery which is really beautiful this monastery carved into the side of a hill and there was sort of a group of boys there who got really aggressive with us when I wouldn't pay them to take their donkey back up the hill I was like I'm fine I'm walking and they started screaming the guy got a huge stick out wanted to beat us up and I ended up having to pay him as well to not get beaten up that was quite scary what were you doing living in Israel working the first time I was on a volunteer program for a year and the second time I worked as a photojournalist for a news agency and then worked on the beach as a oh. waiter which was the hardest job I ever did oh, so life. hang on so from a photojournalist to a waiter on the beach I can see kind of a connection tell me about the photojournalism first what was that I was also about? a manny actually I looked Oh, what, a manny? Yeah, oh, a male manny? Did, did it all. Seriously? So, God, you're brave. I can barely look after my own children, <laughs> let alone other people's. So the photojournalism thing, so I'd, I'd always loved photography and wanted to try and, after having gone to law school, I'm also, I'm a lawyer by trade, and after having gone to law school and before starting my job, I did a big two-year trip and the middle year of that was back in Israel. And I wanted to find a programme where I could 
intern with a really, somewhere really cool to learn the photography trade from a more professional angle. So I thought I had a bit of an eye and like just used to mess around with it. So I got on this program and spent about five months with these incredible photographers learning how they did news and photojournalism from their agency in Jerusalem. I lived in Tel Aviv, but I concentrated on shooting migrant workers and refugees and sort of the, the, the underclass of Israeli society, drug addicts, prostitutes, things like that, which was, I found fascinating, really gritty, but just amazing to like learn photography like that, which then stood me in good stead for later in life when I kind of picked up photography again. What, what inspired you to go for that sort of, the, the grittier side of photojournalism? I just, I just think that's what I've always liked taking pictures of. Whenever I'm travelling, I always end up, you know, looking for people, I end up just taking pictures of people on the street and I don't know, there's something fascinating in that sort of hardship or seeing the unseen side of things so Tel Aviv is a city where most people go and it's all beach fun incredible restaurants I don't know if you've been I have yeah it's It's really lovely beautiful place but you only need to go and I've lived there and I go there two or three times a year but you only need to go a mile into South Tel Aviv and there are people living on the streets in poverty actually the problem is different now there was a very bad refugee problem with refugees coming from Eritrea and Sudan that I think that has been is being dealt with better both by the Israeli government and maybe the issues are a little bit better in the places that they were coming from. But at the time when I was there in 2011, the problem was really bad and nobody knew what to do about it. And so it was also documenting a real life news thing that was happening. I love Israel and I think it's beautiful and I definitely you know want to explore it more. But I always feel a bit conflicted about the whole well, conflict, actually. I yeah. feel a bit... There's so many conflicting emotions with, with spending time there. Yeah. I, I, I come from a different place. I'm Jewish, so I have a deeper, a deeper, different connection. But I, whenever I hear that sort of thing from people, it upsets me when people have opinions when they haven't been there. And I say, go. And by going, that doesn't mean you have to go to and do sort of the Jewish Holy Land tour go to Tel Aviv, but also go to the West Bank, go to Jericho, go to Ramallah, go to the Golan Heights, go to a Druze village in the north, go, you know, I, I went to Bethlehem this summer, just gone and rode around Bethlehem with a Palestinian Harley biker gang and then went to see a Palestinian family on an olive grove that cooked a barbecue for us. Like, you can do it all. Go and see the people and experience it there and then make your mind up, then have an opinion on what you think is going on. And also, it's important to remember that everyone in that country has different opinions. So what you think an Israeli or an Arab or a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian thinks there, there is the full range of, you know, Israeli Jews who hate what the government are doing. They're incredibly left-wing. They don't believe in it all the way to the other extreme on both sides. So it's important to have that perspective. And I don't think until you spend time there, you can appreciate that. Tell me about the Palestinian Harley experience. That sounds good. That was wild. So we went, I don't even know how, I didn't arrange it. I don't know how we even arranged it, but we got, we crossed the security wall. There's a Banksy hotel, the walled off hotel. And we went there, we did some like graffiti stenciling stuff. And I think we were... Did they have... ask you to? Were you okay? Or were you just like randomly doing it on the wall? It's like a thing. It's, okay. like, it's, like, it's, like, a, it's like an activity there. That, they have really cool... Just we had, I think we made one, like a big stencil that was make hummus, not war. And anyway, it's, it's like all a bit of fun. And then we, we got picked up by this. It was about 12 Harleys roll up with these amazing guys in like the, all the leather gear and... And they took us on a tour around the city and we ended up at the, we finished in Manger Square 
at the Church of the Nativity where supposedly Jesus was born. Yeah. And it was just completely bizarre, the whole thing, but amazing. Were they so uh, cool. all Palestinians or a mixture? They, they're Harley people? All Palestinians, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds fabulous. Israelis can't go there. Israelis are not allowed to go to oh, Area A, like that that bit of the West Bank. Yeah, so. it's just all so confusing. I yeah. mean, I've only been there to party, so I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I haven't done any of the religious things, but I'd like to go back and do that. But in terms, I think people don't realise that how much Israel can be like a great place to uh, to to enjoy yourself like that. You know, the, the, the nightlife and the food and incredibly culture. incredibly diverse, both culturally, but also like. There's a ski resort in the north. You can go skiing in the north and then you can go to the south to, to the Red Sea and scuba dive. I'm off to Jordan for the first time in January and I can't Amazing. wait because I've seen it from... It's Alat, I guess, I've seen it. Was it be Alat? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and sailed down the Red Sea and then stopped off on the boat and crossed the border by land. That was quite a terrifying experience because yeah. I took our passports for like an hour and it felt, you know, I don't know, I was being... When you're when you're a, you're a journalist, you know sometimes they think you're a you're a journalist journalist like I'm Kate Ady or whatever. Uh, when clearly I'm not Kate, I'd love to be Kate Ady. But there was a lot of, of scrutiny, and then a very crazy drive through sort of desert land with a taxi driver, an Egyptian taxi driver in Egypt, on the Egypt side. Um, who was just thinking, am I going to get out of this alive? You know, when you get one of those, and he was lovely in the end, you know, well, he seemed lovely, he didn't murder us or anything. But, you know, when, when you think, I don't know, this happens quite a lot when you travel. You think, I mean, that's one of the beauties about travel. You put yourself in situations when you think, is this person okay? And, you know, luckily, most of the time it is. You never really, and you never really know until you're tucked up in bed that night and you're like, it was all good. Exactly. And yeah. sometimes you never really know until like years later, you think, that was a bit of a, that was, I mean, you'll never know. You think that was, that was a really stupid thing to do. I've put myself in many yeah. stupid situations. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, plenty. So where else have you been? What else can I ask you about? Those, the stories are wonderful and I do love the stories. If you want a crazy story, actually, where I got myself into trouble, Zimbabwe, here's one for you. So it was right in the middle of the worst hyperinflation they were having. I was backpacking in Africa, been there for, it was about a 10-week trip. Started in Kenya, climbed, gone to Tanzania, climbed Kilimanjaro, gone to Rwanda, the Congo, gone to see the gorillas there, which was unbelievable and if anyone gets the opportunity to do it you know i don't know how long that will still be a possible to do in the wild and then we made it down through malawi which was probably my favorite country we went to through mozambique and into zimbabwe and we arrived in zimbabwe in the middle of the night not knowing what we were doing or no plan or anything and we turn up there and i was like do you know what we're in harare let's just go to a proper hotel because i just have no idea what's going on here and african cities are actually a bit scary so we go to this hotel, I think it was called the James or the Jameson or something like this. This is in, it's quite, it's like 2008. And we go there and we say, we haven't had any dinner. Can we eat? What have you got? They said, we've got nothing. So this is like a four-star hotel. It's like, no, we'll take like whatever. So they said, we'll see, we'll see what we can do. So they go and, away and they bring to our room, wheel in the table, beautiful white linen cloth. There's like a silver kalosh, is that what it's called? whatever let's say it is and they pull That's it big lily things yeah no, i don't know what they're called and it's they pull it off and it's one slice of bread no butter no jam nothing and a pot of tea one slice of bread and a pot of tea for two of us they said that's all they can do so we're like shit so the next day we're trying to leave and they they're going to give us they give us the bill and they said we can't charge you in the local currency because it's against the law so we have to charge you in dollars and we have to use the official exchange rate so they wanted 640 us dollars for this slice of bread 
and we said we, don't, we actually don't I don't have the money like I can't pay it and they were like we understand this is a problem but like we can't let you leave and you're going to have to sort this out somehow we'll see if we can reduce the price whatever so what we ended up doing was we were really stuck for money if you went to the cash machine the cash machine would let you pull out four or five hundred zim dollars but then you'd go and try and buy something and a bottle of water would be like two quadrillion dollars like we were paying for things in wads of hundred billion dollar notes so we ended up having to pay someone to sleep in the queue of Western Union for us because they only let 20 people in. in the, that's for the country, I guess, in Harare. 20 people in a day. Paid for someone to sleep there and had our parents wire us the maximum amount of dollars that you were allowed to wire, which I believe was like seven or $800. You know, thankfully, we're in a position where I can call my parents and be like, you need to help me out. So we had this money wired and off the back of that, we then met this uh, cleaner in our hotel who had an inn at a bank and she was able to change our money at at the black market rates and gave us her bank card. Um, So we ended up then being fine because we were paying for stuff in local currency. Then her husband says to us, we're going to go to the Sheraton. We can stay there. It's so much, it'd be cheap for you. It's the best hotel in town. Anyway, we get outside the Sheraton. He says, I'm going to check you in, use my ID and I'll give you the keys he goes in he comes running out and he's like he's like we need to drive go 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 and it turns out that he said security the security services were all over the hotel and Mugabe was in the hotel while we were there and he said I've seen things like this before and people like you just disappear he's like they either think you're journalists or you know white guy under a black guy's name it's very questionable and like they don't like it and it causes big problems and you just people and people just disappear when, when in these situations so we were like right we're out yeah, bye so that at that point we were like we need to leave here now and we ended up going down to victoria falls and like getting out of harare kind of by the skin of our teeth feeling like we really had dodged a big problem there but that was that whole experience was quite scary and there was no we had no help and no way out and Wow, that's just shocking. Yeah. Really shocking. I've uh, still got my $100 billion notes. I've still like, brought a load of them home, which I'll What's which it worth now? <laughs> yeah, definitely nothing. But, well, It'd it be nice be. if it reversed yeah. and it actually is worth $100 yeah. billion, dollars, yeah. whatever that is in, in Zimbabwe yeah. dollars. Oh, God. I mean, that's the thing about travel, isn't it? It's just that you, you just don't know what, you know, unless you're going, you know, you just don't know, especially when you go to countries like that. Totally. Like my recent trip to Ethiopia. You know, which is an amazing place these days. And I feel it gets a bad press because a lot of people just see it as it was. You know, they, they think Bob Geldof and, you know, BBC, and biblical scenes of famine and that sort of thing. And actually, it's a beautiful and reasonably stable country now. But you just don't know. I'm desperate to go there, actually. A girl that I met years and years and years ago traveling, who's an Australian girl, she ended up meeting an Ethiopian guy in Israel who was a heart, a pediatric heart surgeon, who's the only one either in Ethiopia or in his village or something. No, it must have been in Ethiopia, the only paediatric heart surgeon, and they've moved back to Ethiopia, and now I'm like, I have to go. Like, I've never been. That's so amazing. You've kind of put this in, you planted a seed now in my mind. Yeah, like, honestly, I well, like, I kept on hearing people talk about it. Like, I've had, you know, people on the podcast, Sam from Yellowwood Adventures, and... In fact, the guy who's the editorial director of Lonely Planet, like both said, these are my this Ethiopia is my favourite country, and I was like, what? Really? It's, it's never been on my radar, oh and now now I'm hearing about it so much. And I went there completely by accident. I went there for work. Someone, you know, sent me there. But I've hopefully got some other opportunities to to go back there, and it's really good. Where where have you been that you? Where haven't you been? Where would you like to go? Massive on my hit list alongside Ethiopia, which is now well up. There. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, oh, you must tell me if you go. I will. 
South Africa, I've never been, oh, this, and I this can't is, believe this, I haven't. I know, me too. Have I'm, you re- I'm really embarrassed I haven't been, but yes, I have a good, I don't know if you have a good reason. I have a very good reason. It's because a friend of mine, who I won't name, actually Fran, I will name you because I'm annoyed with you. She's South African and she was getting married. Every year she was going to get married. She's gonna, so we, like, I, it's like, I never went to South Africa because I knew within a year I'd be going to her wedding. Yeah. Selfishly, they broke up. A bit, a bit like your sister selfishly getting married and having kids. Yeah. Selfishly, they broke up, but I still have not been to to South Africa because I was like oh I'm going there soon How and now no she? wedding on the cards I'm gonna to have to wait for her to meet someone else she's currently single it's terrible so it, it feels like a big oversight in my traveling career that you I sh- haven't been to South Africa you should make this this should be the moment if there's anybody out there who's looking to date a lovely South African girl exactly. make, make it happen because oh, then we and then you can introduce me and we can go to the wedding together yeah we'll oh my life. god it'll be amazing so why haven't you been do you have a good excuse no no excuse because you could have gone on that Zimbabwe journey theoretically <laughs> My flight was out of my flight was out of Zambia, and it didn't work timing wise. I already had the flight booked, so that's not an. Ex- I don't have an excuse. I have no excuse. I just haven't been, and I really want to and need to go. I'm really embarrassed about it. Sometimes I lie to people and say I have been. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad we got this. It's it's yeah. cathartic in a way. Yeah. So you're obviously very well travelled. You're now travelling for work. You know, yes. travel as you're living. What is it about travel? Do you think that inspires you? That people can do. I mean, we are really lucky in the Western world that we have the money to travel, you know, like you said, you know, if shit happens, you know, you can, there's someone often you can call to bail you out. We are very lucky, but more and more people from all sorts of countries around, around the world are, are travelling, you know, as the middle class grows bigger and people can afford it and it becomes more important to people, more people are travelling. What is it about travel? What is, what is travel to you? So I've been, I've been thinking about this quite a lot because I often get asked questions about sustainability and, uh, and should we be flying as much, especially when you fly frequently like me and I get, we get picked up on it and, you know, and I, I talk about offsetting where the right place is to offset. How can you do that best? How can you be environmentally friendly down when you're in a destination but the overarching thing for me and this is what these questions have brought out this thought that imagine a world where we didn't travel and I just know from meeting people who have traveled a lot and I think in my own experience it creates open-mindedness understanding and a, a better world I think you know without being too cringy and cliche like it really does I think the more the more traveled you are that you do tend to be more liberal and open and accepting so that's a huge thing for me, that the, if more of the world was understanding each other, and it's a bit like what I was talking about with Israel and people just going there and seeing and seeing all the different people, you would, be, you would have a much better formed opinion on things. Aside from that, there is still, I think, a romance and an excitement about seeing somewhere that's very different. There are still lots of places in the world, you know, it's difficult for places not to be homogenous when you get you know you can go to a place a cafe in Bali and you feel like you're in Shoreditch but there is so much of the world that is still feels like a journey and an exploration and that still excites me and I think you've either got that you don't people have that wanderlust or they don't but I've definitely got it and that's driven me to travel I remember watching as a kid watching the beach the film with Leonardo DiCaprio and I think that's what sparked something in me and even if I hear any of the soundtrack yeah I was just it's that, going through my head now actually it still brings back this this feeling this urge and I can't remember how old I was when that came out but I might I can't remember like nine or ten or something and even then I was like I want to do that I want to like explore and like put a backpack on my back and go and like see these places and 
Yeah, Apart from like all the murders and weird shit that went on with it as well, you know. Only the first half of the film. <laughs> the you first to, half, yeah, yeah, and I've seen that <laughs> film a million half. times, but you turn it off after the first half. When it turns into that weird computer game, like no one, no one's interested. There in were two game. books actually that inspired me very early on about travel, and one was The Beach because I read the book before I read uh, saw the film. Yeah. Um, but the other one was a book called Are You Experienced by a guy called William Sutcliffe, yeah. and I don't know if you've read it, but whenever I've I, I talked about it so much on the podcast, and everyone, yeah, that inspired me. You know, it's the beach and William Sutcliffe yeah. inspired them to travel. And I just thought, why don't I get William Sutcliffe on? So I looked him up and actually he's still a writer and doing really well. And he came on the podcast and it was almost like I refer to you so much that no he talks about like backpacking and how you can... I, I get confused between some scenes of the beach and some pe- scenes with him, but it's kind of like a little bit... Actually, it's probably from the beach one about how people can go to Bangkok and walk down the Khao San Road and like they start off like this... British kid from Surrey, you know, kind of middle class and a bit yeah. protected. And by the end, they get to the street, you know, they get their henna tattoo, they get their dreads, they get their outfit, yeah. they get their backpack, and they're calling themselves, you know, Jay or whatever, you yeah. know, when they're actually, you know, James or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and some really cool sort of travel, you know, cliches like yeah. that. Uh, and the beach, I think, had them in. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't mind being a, a travel cliche if it means that you can still travel in many ways yeah who cares yeah exactly so before I ask you my last question which is always about music I'm going to ask you given what you do for work what are your top tips for being able to to travel to get us the best deals to get us upgraded to make the best out of our points what, what should we be doing okay so well shameless plug you should obviously sign up to the points guy UK newsletter every single morning deals miles and points advice travel inspiration in your inbox but all of that stuff is the stuff that you need to do, be it independently of us. So finding the best deals, we have loads of methods you can utilize to find the best deals. Like sometimes that might be flying from different European airports to get really cheap business class or even economy fares when you're flying long haul. But the main thing is just start earning miles and points. So that might be different ways for different people, but collect Tesco club card points. You can convert them to air miles. Use online shopping portals. The airlines all have shopping portals where you can earn huge amounts of airlines. I just bought some stuff from Gap um, and it was 20 Avios per pound for stuff bought from Gap. So I spent 100 odd quid and got 2,000 Avios, which is half a flight to Europe already just from that 100 quid. That's Hang on, I'm not doing Europe. this. And I, I fly with BA a lot and I've got a BA credit card so yeah. to collect points. So, so tell me again, what should I be doing? The shopping portals will uh, will elevate your earning oh way more. Oh my God, so, why am I not doing this? So I know, well, if any, you know, everyone buys stuff online. All you need to do is you go on the airline shopping portal, you click through to the retailer from there and you just buy as usual. But some of the multiples on earnings are huge. So I've, so John Lewis at the moment is a six or nine Avios per pound. Selfridges is 18 Avios per pound. Gap is 20 per pound. The Apple store is nine per pound. So if you go and spend a grand on a new iPhone, that's 9,000 Avios you'll get back. You were spending the grand on the iPhone anyway. And 9,000 Avios, to put it into context, is a return flight in Europe. Oh my God, look at my so, jaw it's actually yeah. dropping here I can't believe see I'm, I'm good at, I'm good at travel and I love travel but I'm not like the be- I'm not the best organized when it comes to getting deals so I will sign up to the points guide and I will follow your tips because that sounds very important. we have a beginner's guide that just sets out the nine basic steps to just get you going and then we go a lot deeper than that afterwards my last question is always about music because I really think that music and travel go very much hand in hand if you had to choose one song that reminded you of a memorable time and place of travel. It doesn't have to be your favourite song, it just happens to be a moment of travel when you just thought, yes, this song is the soundtrack to this moment. What would that song be and what is the memory? 
I sort of have two answers. Like so, two is fine. So music, music. So I am. When I said I'm a lawyer, I'm actually a music lawyer. So I worked for a record oh, label. Seriously. For uh, worked for a record label for five years. That was like my main chunk of being a lawyer. And so music was like always just intertwined with it. I never travelled for work, but then I was travelling, and music was just you know woven into my life. The Garden, this is really random, but the Garden State soundtrack, do you remember the film Garden State? I do, I liked the film, I can't remember the soundtrack. The soundtrack has been pretty much the soundtrack to so much of my travels, and I just used to play that album on repeat. So there was songs like, um, there was a a song called Lebanese Blonde that I absolutely love. There's a a Zero Seven track, which which is... probably my one from that that really like just puts me in that beach travel yeah, mode that's that whole album i'll get on a plane and i put that straight on if i was get, like just one song that really like takes me to like travel life and it's like it sounds so ridiculous but flower duet so it's like the british airways theme oh yeah absolutely definitely it just like drags me to being on a british airways plane and uh, there's just you can't break that link between like travel flying as a Brit and British Airways and because my sister was cabin crew and that song just like encapsulates the entire thing do you know what I totally agree with it. was she cabin crew for BA yeah so you know what you know what I love about like travel it's like I love travel but you know when you're coming home and you're in some foreign hot country and you you know you're in all your summery stuff and you probably haven't washed as often as you might normally do and it's been it's been amazing but been hard work as well because travel is quite challenging and quite arduous and you're putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable i absolutely love the feeling that you're talking about that goes with that song is that the doors open and the airplane you know you've got your british air hostesses and cabin crew and the music and you're just like Oh, it's a little piece. Of, you're stepping onto a little piece of home yeah. in the middle of some foreign place, and you know it's going to take you to the place that you love, as well. You love other places, but you know it's going to take you home where everything works, yeah. right? <laughs> That's it. Exactly. It you can be, you know, you can be in Mumbai or Lagos or wherever, and you get on, and it can just be that person that's like, like all right, love, welcome on board," yeah, exactly. and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm home." <laughs> I so feel like that. But I just remember that advert, that one advert they had when they were spinning around the airport. Do you remember they were dancing in the airport to that? I haven't seen an advert like that again. They need to bring back that advert. BA needs to bring back that advert. They do. I'm a bit of a buff on airline advertisements. I've seen them all and I love them all. BA's ones are amazing. Qantas, also amazing. If you've never seen the, the old Qantas adverts, they are. it makes me like feel proud to be Australian. But I'm having no, no connection no. to Australia. <laughs> I have this like... God, I love yeah. being Australian. <laughs> God, that is a new level of travel geekness to actually be obsessed with airline adverts. Yeah. I'm going to have to look a few up. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. And I'm definitely going to be looking up some of those tips. And I will let you know how I get on. You must let me know if you make it to Ethiopia. And I'll see you and in South, South Africa, Africa for Fran's wedding. Can't wait. Are you single, Fran, by I... the way? She's very attractive. Not single, sorry. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> Cheers. You. Thank you so much, Nikki. I'm definitely going to try and put some of your advice into action. It sounded brilliant thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week with india hicks the wonderful india hicks as our guest here on the big travel podcast
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.